Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And after Jacob left, you know, someone came up to Pharaoh and said, So what did Jacob say when you asked him how old he was? Pharaoh would have said, well, I was expecting a simple answer like I'm 130 years old. But instead, he talked about days of years and pilgrimage and few and evil and the days of years of the lives of his fathers and their pilgrimage. This is just a lot to think about, you know, what I was told. And all I asked him was how old he was. But Jacob gave Pharaoh a lot to think about intentionally purposefully from his answer to the simple question of how old he was. And the key to understanding the answer that Jacob gave is found in the end of verse 7 when it says, in the end of verse 7, Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. That's a very important detail because when it says that Jacob went out from before Pharaoh because it means that this was probably the first and the last time that Jacob would ever speak with Pharaoh, and Jacob knew it. And so Jacob had this one and only chance to speak to the soul of Pharaoh, and Jacob was committed that he was not going to miss this opportunity. And so he used a simple question of how old he was to speak to Pharaoh's heart. You see something like this, and you want to say to Jacob, bravo, Jacob, great job. And Jacob here is an example for us. It was it, This is like the World Series of Evangelism, and Jacob comes to the plate, and the pitch was the question of how old are you, and, and with his answer, he swings and he knocks it out of the park. That a boy, Jacob. What we see here is how the Spirit of God made Jacob perceive that this was his one and only chance to bring to Pharaoh to see his need and bring him the the gospel opportunity for Pharaoh to join Jacob, to join his, his fathers on a pilgrimage of denying earth's and Egypt's pleasures and riches and seeking the true God. And Jacob was not for anything going to miss this opportunity. I mean, Jacob may have been old and his body was racked from a hard life and he was not, but he was, he was just not going to miss it. He was not going to miss this chance to win the soul of Pharaoh. And he didn't miss it. And, and, and Jacob realized he, he may never see Pharaoh again. And that's why the end of verse 10 is, is so important when it says he went out for the pre- from before Pharaoh. When he, so, so Jacob saw it's now or never with Pharaoh. And that's why it says, that's why that's so important. It was like 
God said, and afterward, afterward, it was like God said to Jacob, good job, good job, soldier. Yeah, you had your chance. You were faithful to take it. Now at ease, soldier, because the rest is Pharaoh's decision. That's Pharaoh's decision. Jacob here is such a challenging example for us to to look for those once once and maybe never again opportunities to bring the gospel. It reminds me of of when Sumitomo, our, our distributor in Japan, got a new president of their diagnostics division, which is the one we worked with in Osaka. And I came on Doshimachi Street. Maybe you don't know. But anyway, that's where all the pharmaceutical companies are located because they have a shrine to the pharmaceutical god. I never went in that shrine. I don't know if he was home or not when I was there. But anyway, that's what they have. And, and I came, and we had a large meeting where, where all the staff, because they got a new president, came to the meeting, and they asked me to say a few words about the importance of our collaboration, our relationship, our working together of Scanabodies and Sumitomo. And it was a big group. And I paused and I looked around at all those precious souls in that room and I said to myself, these will never go to church to hear the gospel. So the church has come to them. (laughs) I'm the preacher, this is the pulpit. And for 45 minutes, I poured my heart out to them and I told them how, I was a, how it was that I was a dirty, rotten sinner. They thought, well, we thought you were the president of Scannabodies. No, dirty, rotten sinner. And how I thought that maybe God could help me. And how I got a Bible and started to read. And I looked, and, 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 I, and I looked in the Bible and I started on my journey that ended up when I ended, when I found that Jesus Christ was the true God. And he died for my sins and how I received him. He received life and pardon and cleansing. Now, that was over 10 years ago, and since then, the group has more or less broken up, and many have retired, so that was my one and only opportunity to bring the gospel to those people. And this is what we see Joseph, Jacob doing here, is he's not holding back uh, or drawing away to, to, to bring the true God to, to Pharaoh. This is what we see him, this, we see Jacob doing what Paul said in Acts 20, 27. Acts 20, 27, Paul said, I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. What a great word, shun. You know, I have not shunned. You know, the gospel is both the message that we believe for our own salvation, but it's more. The gospel is also a trust that God has given to us. And when Jacob spoke about this pilgrimage to God, Jacob was being faithful to the trust, just as we're supposed to be faithful. You know what you can call the gospel? You can call the gospel the gospel trust, because that's what it is. We, and it's also described in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So, that's the description of the gospel, allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. That's why the gospel can be called the gospel trust. And, and I remember another situation that happened, like Jacob here. 
in 2009 when I received the whistleblower of the year for, ta- uh, for the taxpayers against fraud group at a dinner banquet ceremony that was in Washington, D.C., with all the whistleblower lawyers from around the country. And all that day, before I was supposed to give my, my little acceptance speech, I, I, I just couldn't write the speech down, which, as you know, I used to do. Anyway, so, which made my wife, Cheryl, very nervous. And so she told me that if I got up there and started to fall flat on my face, that even though we were seated at the head table, that she, that she would get up and walk out because she told me she had a room key. And, and, and so she kept asking me, you know, through the day, what are you going to say? What are you going to speak on? And I said, I don't know. It made her so nervous, she sat down and she wrote out my speech for me. And I put it in my pocket. And then I, I didn't know what I was going to say. And so before, you know, the social gathering, you know, and everybody talking. And I met one lawyer after another lawyer. And I realized everybody here is Jewish. <laughs> and so, you know, they kind of know me. So they, when I, before they said to me, now, look, we have to explain something to you. You are not the keynote speaker. They said, the keynote speaker tonight is Senator Patrick Leahy. He'll be seated with you. And he's going to receive the Senator of the Year Award. And so just keep your speech to three minutes, they told me. So, <laughs> and I had no idea what I was going to say when I, when I walked up the stairs to the podium. And I started, was looking to the Lord for what to say. And so I started off by saying, you know, I thought I was going to be the only Jewish person in this room tonight, but I've come to understand I'm not. And then I realized as I was sitting there, you know, looking at that, there's 300 Jewish lawyers in front of me, and they're never going to go into a church. And, and so it was like God said to me, some may call it a hotel ballroom, but I call it a church. <laughs> and you're standing at the podium, and you're the preacher, so preach. And so I started to say, you know, I'm honored to be here and to receive this 2009 Whistleblower of the Year Award. But I got to tell you that I was inspired by a hero. And that inspiration for me to be a whistleblower was a woman, a Jewish woman, a very, very brave Jewish woman who who risked her life to blow the whistle. And she saved all the Jewish people from death that was going to happen on one day. Amazing thing was that they didn't know who I was talking about. You know, they thought, "Is it Golda Meir?" <laughs> yeah, and 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 then, until I said that the extermination plan was devised by Haman, then they all smiled and raised their hands and made like they were making noisemakers. You know, the name of Haman, Haman, and and that, that and then I thought that's just the hors d'oeuvre. And, and then I went on to say, "No, but I was really even inspired." By a, by, by a greater hero, uh, who, by a whistleblower, by a Jewish man, a very brave Jewish man who risked his life and actually died in the process of blowing the whistle of a far more serious extermination plan to de- destroy all the Jewish people. And then I said, and that man was the Lord Jesus Christ. He blew the whistle on the devil's plan and he died for our sins to save us from hell's destruction. I've never seen the looks of people change so drastically from smiling to utter shock and anger. You know, it's not shock and awe. This was shock and anger. And when I sat down, Mr. the lawyer, Mr. Levine, get up. He said, you know, 
I was sitting here thinking to myself, how am I going to straighten him out? I said, but it's too complicated. I'll just leave it for now. And when, my, when, my, my, when I did sit down, my wife leaned over to me and said to me, you spoke for 23 minutes. But, <laughs> but I felt like Jacob, knowing that I would never see these people again. And for those 23 minutes, church came to them. And, and it was as if God said to me at the end of that, at ease, soldier, you did your part. I'll take over from here. And afterwards, a Jewish attorney from Chicago came up to me and she said, I want to know, what is a Jewish boy like you talking about Jesus Christ? And I said to her, I want to know, what is a Jewish person like you doing not talking about Jesus Christ? (laughs) Well, Annette got back to the hotel room, read the three-minute speech that my wife wrote, and all I could think about was those 300 Jewish lawyers and hope for them and I think about him now. It's been nine years later. And, and the night after Jacob left Pharaoh, I'm sure all Jacob could think about was Pharaoh and he could, and hope for him. Now let's look at what did Jacob actually say to Pharaoh when he was inviting Pharaoh to come to God. First of all, verse nine, Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years old. First of all, Jacob speaks about days. Days of his life. Normally you don't say, you know, how old are you? You don't say days. You talk about you know, 130 years, years. But these, you talk about the days that make up the years. And when he did this, when he did this, he was, Jacob was directing Pharaoh to see that life is made up of days and moments in each day. The devil doesn't want us to see that. The devil doesn't want us to see the importance of each day. He wants us just to, 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 to see our lives as a smear of long periods of decades. And, and what happens today is not important. Well, what happened in that one day in the Garden of Eden was very important. We suffer the consequences of that day today. So the devil's always saying, just sin today. It's just one day of sin. You got so many days in your life, and this day of sin is not going to make any difference in the blur of all the days of your life. This day is not really important. The devil wants to take the emphasis off the importance of days and, and just make days just be a blur. But God wants man to see the importance of each day. The Lord Jesus spoke about the importance of each day as, as a day to pray and ask God for what we need when he taught us to see each day as a day of prayer, when he said in Matthew 6.11, Matthew 6.11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, we only have this day to pray to God and see his answers to prayer. We only have this day to build into our lives this habit of seeing a need and praying to God for help for that need and then seeing his answers to prayer. That's the life that wins. That's the life that wins. It's a life of turning to God in prayer for our needs and then having the joy of seeing God answer our prayer. That's a habit of life that, that makes up the, the life that wins. Now, what if when we were asked, what if we were in Jacob's place and we were asked the question, how old are you? And me, Instead of saying, I'm 67 years old, I, I said, I'm 24,638 days old. <laughs> Ask me tomorrow, I'll be 24,639 days old. Uh, okay, 
Tom, let's say you're 54. I don't know. 54. Well, okay. Let's just say you were 54. <laughs> okay, that's nice. Okay. Instead of saying you're 54 years old, you said I'm 19,856 days old, which, which would make me 4,782 days older than you. <laughs> and Clint, instead of saying that you're 59 years old, you would say to your kids, Dad is 21,790 days old. And they'd all go, <laughs> oh, man. Now, why would it be better to express our age in terms of days instead of years? Because the Bible tells us that we're supposed to ask God to teach us to do this. When it says in, in Psalm 90, verse 12, Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Measuring our days, measuring our days, is it, it, it changes us when we think of our lives in terms of other days. And it says that in Psalm 39, 4, Psalm 39, 4, Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. You know, measuring our days gets our focus on the fact that we don't have, we have just a few days left on earth which means that living for eternity is coming. It's approaching. Measuring our days gets the emphasis to us of how frail we are, and that drives us to depend on God. Now, if we all told our age like that in terms of the number of days and changed our age every day, we got a new age, new age every day, that would put us in the frame that the Lord wants us to focus on when the Lord told us to only focus on today and don't worry about the future, we're going to have a victory or a defeat today. And that will be the finality of today, a day of victory or a day of defeat. This is what he was saying in, in Matthew 6.31. Matthew 6.31, therefore take no thought saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be closed? After all these things do the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things it will be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's not saying, what he's saying here is, don't worry about your needs for tomorrow, but just focus your prayer, prayers on the needs for today. Because as far as tomorrow goes, James 4.14, James 4.14, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. What is your life? It's a vapor. Appears for a little time, vanishes away. So the devil wants to terrorize man with one fear. What's going to happen to you in the future? God says, don't think about what's going to happen to you in the future. Just think about today. Lord, and, 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 and try to live a day where you come to the end of it and you say, Lord, I, I, I did my best. I hope you are happy with my day, because if you are happy, I'm happy. So where the devil is getting us to focus off today and on the future, it really comes down to the ultimate goal, which is you don't have to get saved today. There's always next Sunday... There's many Sundays for you to call on God to get saved. Don't sweat it out today. You got plenty of time. And God says, no, it's all about today. 
In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, he says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation have I succored or helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Salvation is not about some time in the future. Salvation is all about now, today. You know, the, the big, this is the big error of the rich man. He disregarded the importance of the day when it said, when the Lord spoke a parable in Luke 12, 16, Luke 12, 16, he spake a parable unto them saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow all my fruits. He said, this will I do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater. There will I bestow all my fruits, my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, thou fool, this night, today, this night, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who should those things be? His focus was on the many years that he thought he had. God's, God said to him, no, it's all about this night, this day, you're going to die. And this was the first instruction that Jacob was giving to Pharaoh, to focus on numbering his days, get his eyes off of this world and, and the shortness of time he has in him and put it on God. Like God told Israel in Amos 4.12, Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Well, how can you do that? How do you prepare to meet God? There's only one preparation. You meet God in judgment, and that's to be, to be shielded from the judgment, to be covered by trusting in God's prescribed remedy for sin, prescribed, his prescribed blood of the sacrifice to cover sins, the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now, Jacob gave Pharaoh a second instruction when he called his life on earth a pilgrimage. I mean, it was true that Jacob was not an Egyptian, so in that sense, he was a foreigner, and he, he was an alien. But Jacob wasn't talking about that because he, he wasn't saying, well, look, you know, recently I became a pilgrim or a foreigner or an alien when I entered Egypt. But, uh, but Jacob had just come from Canaan, which was his home, homeland. That was his homeland. That was where he was born. And so Jacob was saying that, He said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage. For years I've been being a pilgrim. We just came from Canaan, which shows that even in his house, even in his own homeland, he was a pilgrim. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. 
or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. Join us for the Taste of Creation silent auction and fundraiser for the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration and Friendship with God Ministries on Saturday, July 14th at 6 p.m. Enjoy an amazing evening of fantastic food, music, prizes, and a special message by Ministry President Tom Cantor and guest speaker Frank Sherwin. Your participation and support of this fun-filled evening helps sustain these vital ministries to equip future generations and promote the furtherance of the gospel message. Register today at www.tasteofcreation.com. That's tasteofcreation.com. <laughs> 